0: Two minutes or five cycles of 30 compressions and then check for a pulse, correct?
1: Yeah, so um, in the adult patient or the single rescuer, we'll do the 30 compressions. 30 compressions count out loud, right? Mm-hmm. And then we'll check for pulse after five cycles of that. So you'll be just over 200 um, compressions at that point.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Jiu Jitsu Jabber podcast. So this morning we are back at the gym, only today we're coming to you from a slightly different angle. On the mats with us we have Josh Lee. Josh is a Red Cross certified CPR instructor and also a Jiu Jitsu practitioner. He's been a firefighter and flight paramedic for almost two decades with a bachelor's degree in emergency management at UVU. Good morning Josh. Hey. So uh, Josh has just completed a CPR for jujitsu certification course with some members of the gym. And so I figured it might be useful for listeners to learn some of the basics of CPR. You never know uh, when you might need it. So Josh, we typically have three dummies we're working with when it comes to to CPR. I know we officially christened the biggest dummy, Brandon Armini. The name just fit, right? I mean, the (laughs) the likeness was uncanny. (laughs) So tell us, what are the differences um, between these
1: three dummies? So the three dummies that we have are an adult mannequin, a pediatric mannequin, and a newborn mannequin.
0: Okay. And so before we get going in sort of a little bit more detail, can you just give us a little overview of what we did today and what CPR for Jiu-Jitsu is all about?
1: Yeah. What we did is we got all of our hands on the dummies. For the CPR certification that I gave you guys, you just need to know the adult CPR and the pediatric but I wanted to bring the newborn to show you the technique of how to perform CPR in a newborn, which was the encircling your hands around the dummy or the baby and then putting your thumbs on the sternum to perform the CPR, which is a very different way of doing CPR than we are doing on the pediatric mannequin or pediatric patient or an adult mannequin or patient
0: yeah um, actually one thing i thought that was interesting was um you mentioned 13 to 15 kind of age group and is considered an adult so for adult and pediatric essentially you're doing the 30 compression so it's there it's not typically you know 18 plus kind of thing
1: no no so it's uh it's all off of puberty so like girls for example hit puberty sooner than boys so that's always an interesting uh Trying, like, whenever we're on a, a call and we're trying to determine, like, what do we have to do? Is like, just go off of, does it look like she's at puberty or not? And then that changes your course of action of how you treat it. And that's, and the compression rate for a pediatric is 15 to 2 with two rescuers. And then um, when you have the one rescuer, you stick with the, basically, you stick with the adult ratio, which is 30 compressions to two breaths.
0: Gotcha, and we'll get we'll get into some more of the specifics there, just in case uh, our listeners are completely confused at this point. The other uh, something else that was interesting to me was that you mentioned not to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Now I know you said we can do it, but you were, you mentioned that one, it's not necessary while you're waiting for EMT to arrive, and two, that there might be some risk of pushing air into the stomach, which you know would cause them to throw up potentially.
1: Oh yeah, you're definitely gonna push air into the stomach. There's two holes within your mouth, right? You've got your trachea and your esophagus. So the fact that you're putting anything in there is gonna go through both straws. You're forcing air into both straws and eventually by giving mouth to mouth, there is a potential while you're giving mouth to mouth, you expand the stomach and the contents of the stomach will vomit up or just come out because it's expanded to a point where it just, it needs to escape. And there's been numerous studies on CPR that show that the benefit of just continuing the compressions is better because you're keeping your hands on the patient's chest. You're continuing the CPR. As long as the 911 system has been activated, you'll have fire and EMS there within five to 10 minutes at the latest. hmm
0: so we're, we're really just kind of trying to buy time.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's all you're really doing. on these patients that you have to do CPR on where they've lost a pulse, you're already behind the eight ball because you have to do your assessment of the patient. Um, and then you, you have to determine if CPR needs to be required. And there's all, like, no matter what, there's always going to be a second guess yourself kind of a thing in these situations. Like, I don't think I have a pulse, but I'm not really sure. Right. So I'm going like, to, you know, where you're like, oh, should I do it? Should I not? But You just have to use your judgment, your best judgment on those situations and determine what's best for the patient. Yeah. And
0: like the reality is most people that will find themselves in this circumstance aren't necessarily trained. It takes a very calm person to be able to react and to find a pulse and sort of do everything correctly. So in a way, it's almost better to in my mind remove as many steps as possible to make sure that you do the most important parts while you're especially like you're saying when we were doing it you mentioned the importance of activating the 911 system that was oh, incredibly important that's incredibly uh, that's, important
1: that's one of the most important things you can do because even if you are questioning yourself when you're calling 911 if you like like we're, let's say we're at the gym and someone goes down and you tell someone to call 911 have them put that on speakerphone and they can actually walk you through cpr just even the late person without being certified they will walk you through how to perform cpr that, that's what they're trained to do like in those situations that they're gonna have you check a pulse do you, do you have a pulse sick you're saying like, i don't know then they're like all right check breathing is the patient breathing and then you're gonna say i don't know and in almost every situation they're gonna be like, all right can you get the patient onto a flat surface and start cpr
0: so it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting and reassuring at the same time that even with uh, CPR certification, there's still this additional backup. So it's kind of the most important part is dialing 911 is getting that help because as great as having a certification is, there's no, you know, there's the possibility that you're going to forget some things or not react well. So calling 911 uh, right off the bat like you say, there's going to be a, a trained personnel on the other end that will be able to walk you through it, even if you you have no understanding or no experience with CPR.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of calls I've been on where we get dispatched to CPR in progress, and we get there, and the patient's got a bounding pulse. Where I barely touched the patient's carotid, and I was like, "Oh yeah, they got a pulse," and CPR has been performed. So, and it's there's something else happened that they went unconscious, and that. We just then the paramedics get there and we evaluate what what we need to do.
0: Yeah. So the AED, the automated external
1: defibrillator, right? That's I think that's correct, is it? Yes. Tell it's us great, a little bit. It's that. Great device. Yeah. Tell, what, what's yeah, the so, deal with that? So an AED is basically something that a business can purchase. So, like for instance, at the Murray location and at the Riverton location, we're both of our gyms are really closely located to a Vasa, and every Vasa ever everywhere has an AED right at the front desk. So like I instructed you guys today, if we get to a situation where we have to start CPR, activate the 911 system, and if there's hands, I'm going to have somebody run over to BASA and get the AED because they have one there available and they'll let you use it. They're not going to just say, no, you can't take our AED. They'll even probably send some staff over to help. Um, Hmm, Yeah. And then we'll have extra hands to do CPR until 911 can get there, until EMS can get
0: there. Until EMS can get there.
1: You know, one thing that I thought
0: about myself with this kind of thing If I'm trying to help somebody in a circumstance where, you know, they're unconscious or whatever, a potentially life-threatening situation, do I expose myself to, to to the best of your knowledge, do I expose myself to um, liabilities?
1: Well, I mean, this is the United States of America. You can get sued for just about anything, but there are good Samaritan laws in place to help protect those that are trying to help others. So you have the backing of that you have to use your best judgment in every one of these situations. Like you can't go into this just doing CPR and random people on the street. Right. (laughs) Right. We need to, you just need to use your best judgment. And if you're trying to actively help someone that's, you're never going to be faulted for that, like in the eyes of your peers at the state level or anything, you'll, you'll be seen as somebody who's just trying to help someone.
0: Yeah. Now you also mentioned CPR can be used for somebody that's having a stroke.
1: Yeah. So like strokes are interesting, right? Because. Um, there's two different kinds of strokes. You've got your ischemic strokes, which are caused by blood clots. And if they're progressing and they get to a certain point, you're gonna, actually going to end up having a lot more issues down the road and could cause, could lead to cardiac arrest. So in any situation, it could lead to cardiac arrest. Overdosing on something, if you ha- if you have traumatic injury, like all those, a lot of different reasons will cause you to stop uh, your heart from beating, which will stop blood from flowing to your vital organs. So there's a lot of different situations that aren't even cardiac related that'll cause, us, cause you to lose your pulse and you'll have to help somebody with CPR in that, possibly in that situation.
0: And and the same, I guess, uh, you know, what's what was interesting to me was with a choking hazard. So if, if you sort of try to perform Heimlich maneuver or something like that, um, you try to help somebody that is choking on something, the CPR is, re- is also relevant because they are going to essentially keel over, turn blue, and then go unconscious. And then you were saying that they're essentially, you know, under sort of stress at that point that CPR can be useful.
1: Yeah, so they can go into what's called a respiratory arrest at that point, which which basically is you, your heart stops beating because you stop getting oxygen to it, right? Mm-hmm. So that patient that's choking on usually food, from what I've seen, occasionally Legos and kids, where it obstructs the trachea, they're choking, eventually they're going to go unconscious and eventually because they can't breathe their heart's going to stop beating it's just a it's just one of those things that eventually progresses to that point and mm-hmm. so we actually don't call it the heimlich maneuver anymore because dr heimlich's family tried getting a patent on and so we call it abdominal thrusts and then the universal sign for choking is obviously both hands surrounding encompassing your throat like mm-hmm. you're looking at me and my eyes are wide and i'm just like holding my throat that's the universal sign that i've been i'm choking on something and so then we would go to abdominal thrusts, and then we would do five really good ones. And then we'd assess on an adult patient, and then we'd continue if we need to. And if they do go unconscious, then you revert back to your CPR training um, that we went over earlier. And mm-hmm. in this situation, because the way we assess the patient, we check for pulse. We also will go and check their breathing and this is the opportunity that you can open that patient's mouth and just see if you can, if you can clear it. If not, you just take a quick look. If you can't clear it, you just begin your CPR.
0: Now, it's kind of unlikely to happen in a jujitsu circumstance, but in the case of bleeding, where somebody has has some kind of a uh, cut or laceration that caused you know them to start bleeding, that's that's something else we touched on.
1: Yeah, so um, traumatic bleeds. Um, if you start seeing a pulsating stream of blood that's usually the sign of an artery that's not good when you when you lacerate an artery open that's a lot of blood coming out really quick and you need to put put pressure on it if it's on a limb and you have a tourniquet available use the tourniquet when i first started in the fire service tourniquets were like kind of seen as the last resort um like you never ever did it when i started like it was like oh you just don't do them but there's been so much research then that you can have a tourniquet on for upwards of hours and still be able to keep that whole limb alive and that's and all that research comes from the military from wounds that they're treating in the field and then they bring that back to us and we learn from it and so in our situation if we have a tourniquet we would use it Um, i would use it if we have clothing geese sitting around at at the gym um i would wrap it up and just compress keep compression on the wound belts um and you never yeah and you never remove the you never remove it you don't like peek and see if it stopped because there's potential that it did stop and you remove a cloth by removing that that cloth that that rag so you if you if you put compression on it you keep compression on it and if it's bleeding through you add more compression to it um you can also raise the limb um, to help stop the blood flow, to slow it down to that area as well. But you just keep keep compressing, keep adding, keep compressing, keep adding until... And then obviously, like we hit, just activate the 911 system.
0: And same thing, with, they'll probably be able to advise with this kind of scenario as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Dispatch is really good at following the instructions that, that, could, that you tell them what's going on. Like, all right, then they go to their card and they're like, all right, this is what you need to do in this situation. This is what you need to do in this situation. And so they'll just be able to walk you through every single step that you need to to do. And then they'll send someone there to help.
0: So um, just to jump back, uh, uh, take one step backwards. The, what was once termed Heimlich maneuver. What what did you say it was called again? Abdominal thrust. Abdominal thrust. The motion that you use, so you pose a fist and then cut that fist with your other hand and sort of uh, make upward thrusts into their, uh, just above their navel.
1: Yeah, so you start at, I would, I always like find a belly button. That's you button, put your fist button. <laughs> put your fist right there compass it with your other hand and then in a j motion upwards towards their cage. do five really good ones of those and it's a, it, it can get hard on a more obese patient there's a lot more tissue there that you have to, to work through and it might even be hard for you to get your hands around some pa- some people so you just do the best you can and then if they get to a situation where they go unconscious then you revert back to we discussed and begin CPR and activating. And even in the choking situation, you activate the 911 system early, always activate the 911 system. And every one of these classes, they just teach activate the 911 system because we get turned around on stuff like this all the time. It's not even a big deal. Like we just get paged out on it. And then we're, we're like halfway there and dispatch will come over the radio and be like, patient is no longer choking, no longer requesting EMS, go ahead and cancel. Not a big deal.
0: Hmm. So let's just, I guess For people that haven't done it before, obviously the first thing to do is call 911, but let's just rehash our emergency scenario and what we should be doing in a circumstance. We find someone unconscious on the mats in the gym. So let's start from the very beginning through some of the detail of what we should do.
1: So the first things first, like in any situation, in any EMS class, in any CPR class, they're gonna tell you to make sure that you're safe first. Obviously in the gym, we're gonna be safe. Right. So we're going to go up to that patient and we're going to, I'm going to start talking to them. I'm going to kind of like shake them a little bit. Um, I'm going to assess if they're, if they're able to be aroused and wake up, if they are not able to wake up or respond, um, I'm going to check for a pulse. And I usually, I always check in the same spot right in the carotid. That's a good spot to check. We all, everybody at the GM knows where the carotid arteries are. So there should be any issue with trying to find it. You can find it on yourself right now by putting your middle finger and your index finger right below your mandible on the left or the right-hand side of your trachea. Press in fairly deep, and you'll feel your bolts. If the patient doesn't have a pulse, then I quickly assess for breathing. So I'm going to check airway. Um, I'm going to do a slight head tilt, just driving, just grabbing my two fingers, my middle and my index finger on the lower part of the jaw, lifting it up so that they're kind of in a sniffing-like position. And then I'm going to put my cheek to their mouth, and look down towards their feet and what i'm doing is i'm checking to see if they're breathing by feeling for air on my cheek and then i'm also going to look for chest rise and to see if they're breathing and it's important with this step too is to make sure that you check for adequate breathing because when your heart stops your brain is still functioning it's trying to make you breathe but it's not adequate breathing it's what we call agonal breathing in the fire service and ems so if it's agonal it's, it's kind of more like a guppy breathing like it's just like Like they're just trying to gasp and that's not adequate breathing. So if you don't have a pulse and that's going on, you start CPR, you activate the 911 system. If I'm there, I'm telling somebody to run over to VASA, grab the AED that they've got over there. And then we're, we're going to just do CPR the best we can until EMS can get there. Mm
0: -hmm. So we're taught CAB, not ABC, right?
1: Yeah. So they found that it's incredibly important to know early if the patient has a pulse or not. So, in the situations, you start there and then you start moving your way down that, that tree because they're finding that people were waiting too long to see if they were breathing or not. And that's more time off the chest that the heart needs for those compressions.
0: And what does CAB stand for? Circulation, airway, breathing. Yeah. So, so basically check the pulse. If they're breathing relatively normally, then they're probably okay in terms of their heart rate.
1: Yeah. So for me, if I was there and I didn't necessarily feel a pulse, I mean, we're rolling on the mats, right? So all of our adrenaline is fairly high. I And I, I can see that they're adequately breathing. Like, all right, maybe I need to reassess this pulse. Yeah, Like use your best judgment in the situation don't go with your first glance. Like there are some sorts of situations where you're like, eh, maybe I need to check this pulse again, you know? And there's more than one spot to check for a pulse. You can check on the radius of your your hand, just right below your thumb. You can check, like we talked about in class, we can check the top of the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really a great way, but you can. And then there's the femoral artery, which is right in the groin, which none of us want to do anyways. There's definitely areas that you can check. And if you're not confident in your decision um, and somebody else is there that might be, to have that while you're checking the airway, be like, hey, just double check me on this for sure Wait, double check this up. double check this pulse for me
0: and so that rhythm cl- again clench your fist or kind of put your hands together center your hands over their sternum and then count one and two and three and four and people say was it the Bee Gees? staying alive
1: <laughs> staying alive yeah that's it's, it's an easy one to remember if you want to do that but I, I always like counting out loud yeah um, that way the people if, if i start getting fatigued and I'm doing compressions, that means my CPR isn't being effective. So if I'm counting out loud, people can see if I'm becoming more fatigued as well. So that's a way that they like. all right, I'll, on the next cycle, I'm gonna swap out with you. And then th- that way we'll, we'll continue CPR and we'll give effective CPR as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And you have to hear or kind of feel the cartilage
1: crack around there yeah you're gonna feel you're definitely if you're doing appropriate cpr you're definitely gonna feel the cartilage crack it's really mind-boggling the first time it happens yeah. the first time you you start cpr and you just feel this crunch but then after that it's it's good to go and then you've, you're really you're really going going to town on it after that and you're, there's occasions where you're still gonna feel it too we're just gonna be like every single compression you're gonna feel it just depends on the person everybody's body's kind of built a little bit differently mm-hmm. that you may still just feel that every single time, depending on how good your compressions were in that first round.
0: And we do two minutes or five cycles of 30 compressions and then check for a pulse, correct?
1: Yeah, so um, in the adult patient or the single rescuer, we'll do the 30 compressions. 30 compressions count out loud, right? Uh And then we'll check for a pulse after five cycles of that. So you'll be just over 200 um, compressions at that point. And then you'll be at about two minutes. So that's when you check for a pulse again. And if that's, and if you have the AED available, that's a good time that you can get somebody around you doing CPR to hurry and throw those bad boys on. And you need to expose the chest to throw those on as well.
0: And it's a, you know, one and two and three and four. And with each of those, you're compressing their chest or their sternum area almost, you said two inches. I mean, that's pretty deep.
1: Yeah, so two inches on the adult patient, no more than 2.4 inches. The reason for that is is that the way the heart sits, the chambers that that are really important for us, um, which is the ventricles, are sitting and we're filling them up through the atriums. So we're, we're compressing the heart from the sternum, the heart's in the center, down towards the spine, back up. We're not taking our hands off the chest of the patient, but we're allowing for the heart to expand again causing that blood flow to fill those chambers of the heart again, and then continuing the compression. And it's a constant back and forth where you need to compress down in order to push that blood out of the chambers of the heart to the body. And then you need to allow them to refill. So that's why you need to allow for that 2.4 compression. You expand the heart, you continue and back and forth. And you, you tried it today. Mm -hmm. You you saw how tiring it can be. Two minutes, two minutes is a long time for somebody to be doing CPR in anybody.
0: Yeah, and again, it's the you know it's important to keep in mind that the, the kind of um, puberty thirteen and up is an adult. Like we keep saying, adult th- thirteen and up, not sort of the eighteen or twenty one year old above kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I went on a flight a few weeks ago where we had a fourteen year old who was on a ski lift. It was at the ski resort in Park City, and he just went right into a tree. So in the back of our minds were like all right, 14 year old, is probably pretty small. We walked up to this guy and he's like six foot three, weighs 260 pounds and he's 14. So it's like, all right, maybe, maybe <laughs> this is not like, we should not be considering this person a child. Person is as big, is bigger than me.
0: Right, so it, it's kind of, it's an important thing to keep in mind that it's about the size of them as much as it is about them sort of being. Yeah, an and
1: puberty, puberty is huge. Um, recognizing yeah. that they've gone through puberty is, is kind of that breaking point for us.
0: But, well, you know, just ho- hopefully this conversation will, uh, you know, help somebody, um, or hopefully we don't have to. It doesn't have to help somebody. But, uh, you know, again, even it's really important. I thought that was really important the, the comment about calling 911, activating that 911 system, because that in itself, if anybody takes anything away from this podcast, doing that and then following their instructions is huge. Don't be afraid to call 911 if you find yourself in this kind of an emergency, or don't expect somebody else to do it, kind of take that responsibility, because it could make a difference in in saving somebody's life.
1: Yeah, somebody, whoever's on scene um, for this incident, whatever incident we're talking about, they need to take responsibility, and they need to take a command presence. And you actually do need to actually point to somebody and say, I need you, Dave, to call 911. Interesting. And then I need, I need... point to somebody else and say, I need you to run over to Vasa and get the AED. Like you really need to speak clearly and simply so that people follow your directions. You can't just assume that somebody did it because then at that point it's even worse.
0: You take control of the situation
1: you've got to take control of the situation you've got to have a command presence someone has to have a command presence in the situation and then you have to to make sure it follows through there has to be a closed loop conversation there where they say yes all right i will call 901 and then yes i will go get the ad like you need you need to have that that they understand that what you ask them to do
0: josh while i have you um how do you feel that your own jiu is progressing these days
1: Um, I think it's going pretty good. Like, I hope it's going good. I I enjoy it a lot. And, um, I love, I love the people that I'm training with. I love the instructors that we have. They're professors. And I think that First BJJ, um, is just a really good group of people. I'm really glad that I started and I'm feel like. I learn something every time I go whether it's I did something right or I did something completely wrong I try to I try to definitely learn from it so yeah. that's I think I'm doing okay
0: Yeah I mean you're definitely getting stronger and better technically and and even physically stronger every time I feel like every time I roll you get better and better like you're a, a blue belt at this point what do you feel or what do you think blue belts struggle with the most you know from watching them and from your own experience
1: on the mat Oh, so you want, you want me to speak for all the blue belts Yes in the world and the world and the world, so all blue belts everywhere um so like for me, the progression from when I first started to to not be so spazzy, I think is really big for me was big for me
0: yeah
1: um I think how like how professor Carlos says like 000, ten thousand ten thousand more reps, you know like i get I actually get that now because you really do have to like show up and train t- in order to get better. you can't just sit at home and like watch videos and get better. You actually have to do it. You have to feel the pressure of somebody on you. You have to, you have to show up every day you can and train. And I think that's kind of that breaking point where a lot of blue belts quit is because they're like, ah, oh, you know, I got my blue belt, but I'm, I'll go, I'll go tomorrow, but you know, I go today, I Show up today, i um, train, learn something and just get better day by day, roll by roll.
0: Yeah. Josh, this was a a really informative session for me today, earlier, and and this podcast too. Hopefully the listeners that haven't got any CPR background get something out of this. You know, as we were talking about, you just, you never know what life has in store and having some idea of what to do, even if it's just calling 911 and following their um, lead, you know, could make a difference between life and death, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. We get called on some of the craziest stuff and then it turns out to be nothing. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with calling. Then we come and we evaluate and like, ah, you know what? This isn't what you were thinking, but that's fine. And then if they need to go to a hospital then the ambulance is still there, that they can take them to the hospital. And so it's incredibly important to realize that you're not alone. Like in in these situations, if you can contact someone, someone's coming, even if you're in the backwoods, if you're able to get a cell phone signal out, like we get called air med all the time to go out in the back country because somebody fell down and broke their ankle and they can't get out now that happens all the time so but that way somebody's coming if you can are you able to activate that system use it it's a great system that we have here
0: josh this has been awesome man i appreciate your taking the time today and teaching and certifying us and also doing the podcast
1: all right thanks for having me this was a lot of fun I'm, i might not be great at jujitsu, but i'm pretty good at being a paramedic <laughs>